You see a lot of blood in this job. Don't attempt to drink it, that's my advice, said Angua, still rummaging. Ah, he's got a rune necklace, and— She pulled a hand out of the dead dwarf's jerkin. Can't make this out very well, but I can smell ink, so it may be a letter. Okay, let's get out of here. She stood up. Did you hear me? The sign was written by someone dying, said Sally, still keeping her distance. Well? It's probably a curse. So? We didn't kill him, said Angua, getting to her feet with some difficulty. They looked down at the liquid mud, now rising to their knees. Do you think it cares? said Sally, matter-of-factly. No, but I think there may be another way out in that last tunnel we passed, said Angua, looking back along the tunnel. She pointed. Scuttling along with blind determination, a line of worms marched along the dripping roof, almost as fast as the mud flowed down below. They were heading into the side tunnel in a glowing stream. Sally shrugged. It's worth a try, yes? They left, and the sound of their splashing soon died away. Slowly the mud rose, rustling in the gloom. The trail of worms gradually disappeared overhead. The worms that made the sign remained, though, because such a feast as this was worth dying for. Their glow winked out, one insect at a time. The darkness beneath the world caressed the sign, which flamed red and died. Darkness remained. On this day in 1802, the painter Methodia Rascal tried putting the thing under a heap of old sacks, in case it woke up the chicken, and finished the last troll using his smallest brush to paint the eyeballs. It was 5 a.m. Rain rustled out the sky, not hard, but with a gentle persistence. In Satel Square, and in the Plaza of Broken Moons, it hissed on the white ash of the bonfires, occasionally exposing the orange glow, which would briefly sizzle and spit. A family of knolls were sniffing around, each one dragging his or her little cart. A few officers were keeping an eye on them. Knolls weren't choosy about what they collected, provided it didn't actually struggle, and even then there were rumours. But they were tolerated. Nothing cleaned up the place like a knoll. From here they looked like little trolls, each with a huge haystack on its back. That represented everything it owned, and mostly what it owned was rotten. Sam Vimes winced at the pain in his side. Just his luck. Two coppers injured in the entire damn affair, and he had to be one of them. Igor had done his best, but broken ribs were broken ribs, and it'd be a week or two before the suspicious green ointment made much difference. His hand twinged in sympathy with them, too. Still, he enjoyed a bit of a warm glow about the whole thing. They had used good old-fashioned policing, and since good old-fashioned policemen are invariably outnumbered, He'd employed the good old-fashioned police methods of cunning, deceit, and any damn weapon you could lay your hands on. It had hardly been a fight at all. The dwarfs had mostly been sitting and singing gloomy songs because they fell over when they tried to stand up, or had tried to stand up and were now lying down and snoring. The trolls were, on the other hand, mostly upright, but went over when you pushed them. One or two, a little clearer in the head than the others, had put up a ponderous and laughable fight, but had fallen to that most old-fashioned of police methods, the well-placed boot. Well, most of them had. Vimes shifted to ease the aching in his side. He should have seen that one coming. But all's well that ends well, eh? No deaths at all, and just to put a little cherry on the morning cake, he had in his hand an early morning edition of the Times, in which a leading article deplored the gang stalking the city and wondered if the watch was up to the job of cleaning up the streets. Well, yes, I think we are, you pompous twerp. Vimes struck a match on a plinth and lit a cigar in recognition of a petty but darkly satisfying triumph. 
Gods knew they needed one. The watch had taken a pounding over the whole damn Coombe Valley thing, and it was good to hand the lads something to be proud of for a change. All in all, it was definitely a result. He stared at the plinth. He didn't remember what statue had been there. It celebrated generations of graffiti artists now. A piece of troll graffiti adorned it now, obliterating everything done by the artists who used mere paint. He read, Mr. Shine, him diamond. Mine sign, city scrawl, he thought. Things go bad and people are moved to write on the walls. Commander? He turned. Captain Carrot, armour gleaming, was hurrying toward him, his face, as usual, radiating an expression of a hundred percent pure keen. I thought I'd told everyone not on prisoner duty to get some sleep, Captain, said Vimes. Just clearing up a few things, sir, said Carrot. Lord Vetinardi sent a message down to the yard. He wants a report. I thought I'd better tell you, sir. I was just thinking, Captain, said Vimes expansively. Should we put up a little plaque? Something simple? It could say something like, Battle of Coombe Valley not fought here, Groon the fifth year of the prawn. Could we get him to do a bloody stamp? What do you think? I think you need to get some sleep yourself, Commander, said Carrot. And technically, it isn't Coombe Valley until Saturday. Of course, monuments to battles that didn't take place might be stretching things a bit, but a stamp... Lady Sybil really worries about you, sir, Carrot broadcast concern. The fizz in Vimes's head subsided. As if awakened by the reference to Sybil, the debtors of his body queued up to wave their overdue IOUs. Feet, dead, tired, and in need of a bath. Stomach, gurgling. Ribs, on fire. Back, aching. Brain, drunk on its own poisons. Bath, sleep, eat. Good ideas, but still must do things. As our Mr. Pessimal, he said. Igor's fixed him up, sir. He's a bit amazed at all the fuss. Now, I know I can't order you to go and see his lordship. No, you can't, because I am a commander, Captain, said Vimes, still fuzzily intoxicated on exhaustion. But he can, and he has, sir, and your coach will be waiting for you outside the palace when you come out. That's Lady Sybil's orders, sir, said Carrot, appealing to higher authority. Vimes looked up at the ugly bulk of the palace. Suddenly clean sheets seemed such a sweet idea. "'Can't face him like this,' he murmured. "'I had a word with Secretary Drumnot, sir. Hot water, a razor, and a big cup of coffee will be waiting in the palace. You thought of everything, Carrot?' "'I hope so, sir. Now off you—' "'But I thought of something, eh?' said Vimes, swaying cheerfully. "'Better dead drunk than just dead, eh?' "'It was a classic ruse, sir,' said Carrot reassuringly. One for the history books. Now off you go, sir. I'm going to have a look for Angua. She hasn't slept in her bed. But uh, at this time of the month, I know, sir, she hasn't slept in her basket either. In a dank cellar that was once an attic and was now half full of mud, the worms poured out of a small hole where wooden planks had long since worn away. A fist punched up. Soggy timber split and crumbled. Angua pulled herself up into this new darkness, then reached down to help Sally, who said, "'Well, here's another fine mess.' "'Let's hope so,' said Angua. "'I think we need to go up at least one more level. There's an archway here. Come on.' There had been too many dead ends, forgotten stinking rooms and false hopes, and altogether too much slime. After a while the smell became almost tangible, and then it managed to become just another part of the darkness.' The women wandered and scrambled from one dripping fetid room to another, testing the muddy walls for hidden doors, searching for even a pinprick of light in the ceilings, hanging with interesting but horrible growths. Now they heard music. 
five minutes wading and slithering brought them to a blocked-in doorway, but since it had been filled by the more modern Ankh-Morpork mortar of sand, horse-dung and vegetable peelings, several bricks had already fallen out. Sally removed most of the rest with one punch. "'Sorry about that,' she said. "'It's a vampire thing.' The cellar behind the demolished wall had some barrels in it, and looked as though it was regularly used. There was a proper door, too. Rather dull, repetitive music filtered down from between the boards. There was a trapdoor in them. "'Okay,' said Angua. "'There's people up there. I can smell them.' "'I count fifty-seven hearts beating,' said Sally. Angua gave her a look. "'You know, that's one particular talent I'd keep to myself if I was you,' she said. "'Sorry, Sergeant.' "'It's not the sort of thing people want to hear,' Angua went on. "'I mean, I personally am quite capable of crushing a man's skull in my jaws, "'but I don't go around telling everyone. "'I shall make a note of it, Sergeant,' said Sally, "'with a meekness that was quite possibly feigned. "'Good. Now, what do we look like? Swamp monsters?' "'Yes, Sergeant. Your hair looks dreadful, just like a great lump of green slime.' "'Green? I'm afraid so.' "'And my emergency dress is back down there somewhere,' said Angua. "'It's past dawn, too. "'Can you uh, go bats now?' "'In daylight! "'One hundred and fifty disoriented bits of me? "'No. "'But you could get out as a wolf, couldn't you?' "'I'd kind of prefer not to be a slime monster coming through the floor "'if it's all the same to you,' said Angua haughtily. "'Yes, I can see that. "'It does not pay to advertise.' Sally flicked away a lump of nameless ooze. Ah, this stuff is foul. So the best we can hope for is that when we make a run for it, no one will recognise us, said Angua, pulling a lump of wobbly green stuff from her hair. At least we... Oh, no. What's wrong? said Sally. Nobby Nobs. He's up there. I can smell him. She pointed urgently at the boards overhead. You mean Corporal Nobs, the little... Man, with these spots, said Sally. We're not under a watch-house, are we, said Angua, looking around in panic. I don't think so. Someone's dancing by the sound of it. But look, how can you smell one human in the middle of all this? It never leaves you, believe me. The smell of old cabbage, acne ointment, and non-malignant skin disease became transmuted in corporal knobs into a strange odour that lay across the nose like a saw-blade on a harp. It wasn't bad as such, but it was like its host, strange, ubiquitous, and hellishly difficult to forget. "'Well, he's a fellow officer, isn't he? Won't he help us?' said Sally. "'We are naked, Lance Constable. Only technically this mud really sticks. I mean underneath the mud,' said Angua. "'Yes, but if we had clothes on we'd be naked underneath them too,' Sally pointed out. "'This is not—' the time for logic. This is the time for not seeing Nobby grinning at me. But he's seen you when you're wolf-shaped, hasn't he? said Sally. So? snapped Angua. Well, technically you're naked then, aren't you? Never tell him that. Nobby Nobs, a shadow in the warm red gloom, nudged Sergeant Colon. You don't have to keep your eyes shut, Sarge, he said. It's all legit. It's an artistic celebration of the female body, Tawny says. Anyway, she's got clothes on. Two tassels and a folded anky is not clothes, Nobby, said Fred, sinking down in his seat. The pink pussycat. Now, fair's fair. He'd been in the army and watch, and you couldn't spend all that time in uniform without seeing a thing or two. Or three, now he came to recollect. And it was true, as Nobby had pointed out. 
that the ballerinas down at the opera house didn't leave a lot to the imagination, at least not to nobbies. But when all was said and done, ballet had to be art, even though it was a bit short on plinths and urns, on account of being expensive to look at. And moreover, ballerinas didn't whiz around upside down. And the worst of it was, he'd already spotted two people he knew in the audience. Fortunately, they hadn't seen him, which was to say that whenever he'd sneaked a glance their way, they were looking in completely the opposite direction. Now, this bit is really hard, whispered Nobby conversationally. Er, uh, is it? Fred Colon closed his eyes again. Oh, yes, it's the triple corkscrew. Look, don't the management object you coming in here? Fred managed, shifting even further down in his seat. Oh, no. They like having a watchman in, said Nobby, still watching the stage. They say it makes people behave. Anyway, I only come in so I can walk Betty home. Betty being... Tawny's actually only a pole name, Nobby said. She says no one would be interested in an exotic dancer with a name like Betty. She says it sounds like she'd be better with a bowl of cake mixture. Colon shut his eyes, trying to banish a mental conjunction of the bronzed, lithe figure on stage and a bowl of cake mixture. I think I could do with a breath of fresh air, he groaned. Oh, not yet, Sarge. Broccoli's on next. She can touch the back of her head with her foot, you know. I don't believe that, said Fred Colon. She can, Sarge. I've seen. I don't believe there's a dancer called Broccoli. Well, she did used to be called Candy, Sarge, but then she heard that Broccoli is better for you. Corporal Nobbs! The sound appeared to be coming from under the table. Nobby stared at Fred Colon and then looked down. Yes, he ventured with caution. This is Sergeant Angua, said the floor. Ow, said Nobby. What is this place? the voice continued. The Pink Pussycat Club, Sergeant, said Nobby obediently. Oh, gods! There was some conversation down below, and then the voice said, Are there women up there? Yes, Sergeant. Eh, what are you doing down there, Sarge? Giving you orders, Nobby, said the voice from below. Are there women? Yes, Sarge, lots. Good. Please ask one to come down into the beer cellar. We'll need a couple of buckets of warm water and some towels. Got that? Nobby was aware that the musicians had stopped playing and Tawny had paused in mid-drop and split. Everyone was listening to the talking floor. Yes, Sergeant, said Nobby. I've got it. And some clean clothes. And... There was subterranean whispering. Make that several buckets of water and a scrubbing brush and a comb and another comb and more towels. Oh, and two pairs of shoes, size six and... Four and a half, really? Okay. And is Fred Colon with you, or is that a stupid question? Fred cleared his throat. I'm here, Sergeant, he reported, but I only came along to... Good. I want to borrow a set of your stripes. I've got a bad feeling about the next few hours, and I don't want anyone to forget I'm a sergeant. Got that, the pair of you? It's full moon, Fred whispered to Nobby as one man to another. And then he said aloud, Yes, sergeant, this may take a while. No, it won't. Because you've got a werewolf and a vampire down here, understand? I'm having a really bad hair day, and she's got toothache. We come up in ten minutes looking human, or we come up anyway. What? There was more whispering. Why a beetroot? Why, in God's names, is a girly show likely to contain a beetroot? What? Okay, will an apple do? Nobby, Lance Constable von Humperding needs an apple urgently, or something else that she can bite. Now jump to it. 
Coffee was only a way of stealing time that should by rights belong to your slightly older self. Vimes drank two cups and had a wash and at least an attempt at a shave, which made him feel quite human if he ignored the sensation that parts of his head were stuffed with warm cotton wool. At last, deciding that he felt as good as he was going to and could probably handle quite long questions, he was ushered into the oblong office of the patrician of Ankh-Morpork. "'Ah, Commander,' said Lord Vetinari, looking up after a considered interval and pushing aside some paperwork. "'Thank you for coming. It seems that congratulations are in order, so I am told.' "'And why's that, sir?' said Vimes putting on his special blank, talking-to-veterinary face. "'Come now, Vimes. Yesterday it looked as if we would be having a species war right in the middle of the city, and suddenly we are not. Those gangs were quite fearsome, I gather. Most of them were asleep or squabbling amongst themselves by the time we arrived, sir. We just had to tidy them away,' Vimes volunteered. "'Yes, indeed,' said Veterinari. "'It was quite astonishing, really. Do sit down, by the way.' It really is not necessary for you to stand in front of me like a corporal on a charge. Don't know what you mean, sir, said Vimes, collapsing gratefully into a chair. You don't? I was referring, Vimes, to the speed with which both parties managed to incapacitate themselves with strong liquor at the same time. I wouldn't know anything about that, sir. That was an automatic reaction. It made life simpler. No? It appears, Vimes, that while stealing themselves for the fracas to come, both the trolls and the dwarfs came into possession of what I assume they thought was beer. They had been on the pit, uh, been drinking all day, sir, Vimes pointed out. Indeed, Vimes, and possibly that is why the dwarf contingent were less than cautious in drinking copiously from beer that has been considerably fortified. Areas of Sator Square, I gather, still smell faintly of apples, Vimes. One could come to believe, therefore, that what they were drinking was in fact a mixture of strong beer and scumble, which is, as you know, distilled from apples. Uh, mostly apples, sir, said Vimes helpfully. Quite. The cocktail is known as fluff, I believe. As to the trolls, one might speculate that it would be very hard to find anything to make their beer even more dangerous than it palpably is, but I wonder if you have heard, Vimes, that an admixture of various metallic salts produces a drink known as Luglar, or Big Hammer. Can't say I do, sir. Vimes, some of the flagstones in the plaza have actually been etched by the stuff. Sorry about that, sir. Vetinari drummed his fingers on the table. What would you do if I asked you an outright question, Vimes? I'd tell you a downright lie, sir. Then I will not do so, said Vetinari, smiling faintly. Thank you, sir, nor will I. Where are your prisoners? We spread them around the watch-house yards, said Vimes. As they wake up, we hose them clean, take their names, give them a receipt for their weapon and a hot drink, and push them out into the street. And their weapons are culturally very important to them, Vimes, said Vetinari. Yes, uh, I know. I myself have a strong cultural bias against getting my brains bashed in and my knees cut off, said Vimes, stifling a yawn and wincing as his ribs objected. Indeed. Were there any casualties in the battle? None that won't heal, Vimes grimaced. I have to report that Mr. A. E. Pessimal sustained a broken arm and multiple bruises, though. Vetinari actually looked taken aback. 
The inspector? What was he doing? Uh, attacking a troll, sir. I'm sorry. Mr. A. E. Pessimal attacked a troll? Yes, sir. A. E. Pessimal, Vetinari repeated. That's a man, sir. A whole troll. Yes, sir. With his teeth, sir. Mr. A. E. Pessimal, you are sure? Small man, very clean shoes? Yes, sir. Vetinari grabbed a helpful question from the gathering throng. Why? Vimes coughed. Well, sir. The troll mob was a tableau. Trolls stood or sat or lay where they had been when the big hammer had struck. There were a few slow imbibers who put up a bit of a fight, and one who had stuck with a bottle of looted sherry put up a spirited last-drop stand until Golem Constable Dorfall picked him up bodily and bounced him on his head. Vimes walked through it all as the squad dragged or rolled slumbering trolls into neat lines to await the wagons. And then... The day was not improving for Brick. He'd drunk a beer. Well, maybe more than one. Where was the harm in debt? And now, there, right in front of him, wearing one of them helmets and everything, was, yeah, could be a dwarf, insofar as the fizzing, sizzling pathways of his brain were capable of deciding anything at all. What the hell, they decided. It wasn't a troll, and that was what it was all about, right? And he was his club, right here in his hand. Instinct caused Vimes to turn as a troll opened red eyes, blinked, and began to swing a club. Too slowly, too slowly in the suddenly frozen time, he tried to dive away, and he felt the club smash into his side and lift him, lift him up, and tip him onto the ground. He could hear shouting as the troll lumbered forward, club raised again to make Vimes at one with the bedrock. Brick became aware that he was being attacked. He stopped what he was doing, and, with sparks going whizzle in his brain, looked down at his right knee. Some little gnome or something was attacking him with a blunt sword, and kicking, and screaming like a mad thing. He put it down to the drink, like the feeling that his ears were giving off flames, and brushed a thing away with a flip of his hand. Vimes, helpless, saw A. E. Pessimal tumble across the plaza, and watched the troll turn back to the clubbing at hand. But detritus, arriving behind it now, pulled it around with one shovel-sized hand, and here came the detritus fist, like the wrath of gods. For Brick, everything went dark. "'You wish me to believe,' said Lord Vetinari, "'that Mr. A. E. Pessimal single-handedly attacked a troll?' "'Both hands, sir,' said Vimes. "'And feet, too. And tried to bite it, we think.' "'Isn't that certain death?' said Vetinari. "'That didn't seem to worry him, sir.' Vimes had last seen A. E. Pessimal being bandaged by Igor and smiling in a semi-conscious way. Watchmen were dropping in all the time to say things like, "'Hi, big man!' and slap him on the back. The world had turned for A. E. Pessimal. "'Might I inquire, Vimes, why one of my most conscientious and most decidedly civilian clerks was in a position to do this?' Vimes shifted uncomfortably. Uh, "'He was inspecting. Learning all about us, sir.' He gave Vetinari a look that said, "'If you take this any further, I will have to lie.' Vetinari returned one that said, "'I know.' "'You yourself are not too badly injured,' the patrician said aloud. "'Just a few scratches, sir,' said Vimes. 
Vetinari gave him a look that said, Broken ribs, I'm certain of it. Vimes returned one that said, Nothing. Vetinari wandered over to the window and stared down at the waking city. He didn't speak for some time and then let out a sigh. Such a shame, I think, that so many of them were born here, he said. Vimes stuck with saying nothing. It generally sufficed. Perhaps I should have taken action against that wretched dwarf, Vetinari went on. Yes, sir. You think so? A wise ruler thinks twice before directing violence against someone because he does not approve of what they say. Once again, Vimes did not comment. He himself directed violence daily and with a certain amount of enthusiasm against people because he didn't approve of them saying things like, Give me all your money, or What are you going to do about it, copper? But perhaps rulers had to think differently. Instead, he said, Someone else didn't, sir. Thank you for that, Vimes, said the patrician, turning around sharply. And have you found out who they are yet? Investigations are continuing, sir. Last night's affair got in the way. Is there any evidence that it was a troll? There is puzzling evidence, sir. We are assembling a jigsaw, you might say. Except that we haven't got any of the edges, and it'd help if we had the lid of the box, he added to himself. And because Vetinari's face bore a hungry look, Vimes continued aloud, If you're expecting me to pull a magic rabbit out of my helmet, sir, it'll be a cooked one. The dwarfs are certain it was a troll. There's a thousand years of history telling them. They don't need proof, and the trolls don't think it was a troll, but probably wish it was. This isn't about the murder, sir. Something in Sidon's gone click, and it's time for all good men, well, you know what I mean, to fight Coombe Valley all over again. Something else is going on in that mine, I know it. Something bigger than murder. All those tunnels, what are they for? All those lies? I can smell lies, and the place is full of them. Much hangs on this, Vimes, said Vetinari. It's bigger than you know. I have this morning had a clax from Rhys Reeson, the Low King. All politicians have their enemies, of course. There are, shall we say, factions that disagree with him, his policy toward us, his conciliatory approaches to the troll clans, his stance on the whole wretched hack thing. And now there are stories about a troll killing a grag, and, yes, rumours that the watch has threatened the dwarfs. Vetinari held up a pale hand as Vimes opened his mouth to protest. We need to know the truth, Vimes. Commander Sam Vimes's truth. It may count for more than you think. In the plains, certainly, and much further. People know about you, Commander. Descendant of a watchman who believed that if a corrupted court will not behead an evil king, then the watchman should do it himself. It was only one king, Vimes protested. It wasn't a habit. Sam Vimes once arrested me for treason, said Vetinari calmly, and Sam Vimes once arrested a dragon. Sam Vimes stopped a war between nations by arresting two high commands. He's an arresting fellow, Sam Vimes. Sam Vimes killed a werewolf with his bare hands and carries law with him like a lamp. Where did all that come from? Watchmen across half the continent will say that Sam Vimes is as straight as an arrow, can't be corrupted, won't be turned, never took a bribe. Listen to me. If Rhys falls, the next low king will not be one who is prepared to talk to the trolls. Can I make it simple for you? Those clans whose leaders have been talking to Rhys 
will in all likelihood feel that they have been made fools of, overthrow said leaders, and replace them with trolls too belligerent and stupid to be fools. And there will be a war, Vimes. It'll come here. It won't be a gang crumble such as you thwarted last night. We won't be able to hold fast or stand aloof. Because we have our own fools, Vimes, as I'm sure you know, who'll insist we pick sides. Coombe Valley will be everywhere. Find me a murderer, Vimes. Hound them down and bring them into the daylight. Troll or dwarf or human, it doesn't matter. Then at least we shall have the truth and can make use of it. It is rumour and uncertainty that is our enemy now. The low king's throne trembles, Vimes, and thus do the foundations of the world. Vetinari paused, and carefully squared up the paperwork in front of him, as if he now felt he'd gone too far. However, obviously I do not wish to put you under any kind of pressure, he finished. In Vimes's confused, lukewarm brain, one word bobbed to the surface. Crumble, he said. Lord Vetinari's secretary leaned down and whispered into his master's ear. Ah, I believe I meant rumble, said Vetinari brightly. Vimes was still trying to cope with the International News Digest. "'All this over one murder?' he said, trying to stifle a yawn. "'No, Vimes, you said it yourself, all this over thousands of years of tension and politics and power struggles. In recent years things have gone in certain ways, causing power to shift. There are those who would like it to shift back, even if it returns on a tide of blood. Who cares about one dwarf?' But if his death can be turned into a casus belli, here Lord Vetinari looked at Vimes's sleepy eyes and went on, that is a reason for war, then suddenly he is the most important dwarf in the world. When did you last get some proper sleep, Vimes? Vimes muttered something about, not long, not long ago. Go and have some more, and then find me the murderer. Quickly. Good day to you. Not just thrones trembling, Vimes managed to think. Your chair is wobbling a bit, too. Pretty soon some people will be saying, Who let all these dwarfs in here? They undermine our city and they don't obey our laws. And the trolls? We used to chain them up like guard dogs, and now they're allowed to walk around threatening real people. They'd be gathering now, the plotters, the people who chatted quietly in the corner at parties, the people who know how to fashion opinions into knives— Last night's little fray had been turned into a joke that had probably dismayed the party people, but you couldn't do it twice. Once things began to spread, once a few humans had been killed, you wouldn't need to talk behind closed doors any more. The mob would scream on your behalf. They undermine our city, and they don't obey our laws. He climbed into the coach on legs that were only marginally under his control, muttered an instruction to head for Pseudopolis Yard, and fell asleep. It was still night-time in the city of endless rain. It was never not night-time. No sun rose here. The creature lay coiled in its alley. Something was seriously wrong. It had expected resistance. There was always resistance, and it always overcame it. But even now, when the invisible bustle of the city had slowed, there was no way in. Time and again it would be sure it had found a point of control, some tide of rage it could use— and time and again it had be slammed back here into this dark alley where the gutters overflowed. This was not the usual kind of mind. 
The creature struggled. But no mind had ever beaten it yet. There was always a way. Through the ruin of the world, the troll staggers. Brick lurched out of Dolly Sister's watchhouse, clutching his head with one hand and, in the other, holding the bag that contained as many of his teeth as Detritus had been able to find. The sergeant had been very decent about that, Brick thought. Detritus had also explained to him exactly what would have happened to him had his second blow hit the human, graphically indicating that finding Brick's teeth would have been secondary to finding a head to put them in. He'd gone on to say, though, that there might be a place in the watch for any troll who could still stand up after a head full of big hammer, and maybe Brick might like to conduct his future behaviour with an eye to this. So, Brick thought, insofar as the term could be applied to any brain activity within two days of big hammer, the future was looking so bright that he had to walk along with his eyes almost shut, although that was probably the big hammer again. But he'd heard the other trolls talking and the watchman, too. All this stuff about a troll killing a dwarf down in that new mine now. Brick was still certain he hadn't killed no dwarf, even after half an ounce of scrape. He'd gone over and over it in what currently remained of his mind. Trouble was, the watch had all these tricks these days. They could tell what a guy had for dinner just by looking at his plate. And he'd lost a skull down there, too, he was sure of that. Like, they could just sniff it and know it was him, except it wasn't him, right? "'cause they said the troll dropped his club "'and Brick still had his club "'cause he had hit that top watchman with it. "'So maybe that was what they called an alley-by, yeah? "'Despite the cerebral gurgling noise "'of the big hammer draining away from his higher brain functions, "'Brick suspected that it wasn't. "'And anyway, if they looking for a troll what done the deed "'and they find out I was there, lost a skull and everything, "'and I say, OK, I was there, but I never walloped no dwarf, "'they'll say, oh, yes, pulled the other one. "'It is having bells on.' "'Right here and right now, Brick was feeling a very lonely troll. "'There was nothing for it. "'There was only one person who could help him with this one. "'It was too much thinking for one troll.' Slinking through alleys, pressed against walls, keeping his head down, avoiding every living creature, Brick sought out Mr. Shine. Angua decided to go straight to Pseudopolis Yard rather than a closer watchhouse. That was HQ, after all, and besides, she always kept a spare uniform in her locker. What was annoying was that Sally walked so easily in six-inch heels. That was vampires for you. She had taken hers off and was carrying them, it was that or turn an ankle. The Pink Pussycat Club had a fairly limited choice of footwear. There wasn't much to choose from in the way of clothing either, if by clothing you meant something that actually made an attempt to cover anything. Angua had been rather surprised that the stage wardrobe had included a female watch outfit, but with skimpy papier-mâché armour and a skirt that was much too short to be any protection. Tawnee had explained, rather carefully, that men sometimes liked to see a pretty girl in armour. To Angua, who'd found that men she was apprehending never looked very pleased to see her, this was food for thought. She'd settled for a sequined gold dress, which just didn't work. Sally had picked something simple and cut the thigh in blue, which of course had become stunning the moment she'd put it on. She looked fabulous. So, when Angua strode into the main office, slamming the big doors back, and there was a derisory wolf whistle, the unwise watchman found himself being pushed backwards until he was slammed against the wall. He felt two sharp points pressed against his neck as Angua growled, 
You want a wolf, do you? Say no, Sergeant Angua. No, Sergeant Angua, you don't. I was probably mistaken then, was I? The points pressed a little harder. In the man's mind, steely talons were about to pierce his jugular. Couldn't say for sure, Sergeant Angua. My nerves are a tad stretched right now, Angua howled. Hadn't noticed, Sergeant Angua. We're all a little bit on edge at the moment, wouldn't you say? That's ever so true, Sergeant Angua. Angua let the man's boot reach the ground. She put two black, shiny, and noticeably pointed heels into his unresisting hands. Could you do me a really big favour, please, and take these back up to the Pink Pussycat Club? she said sweetly. They belong to someone called Cherylee, I think. Thank you. She turned and looked over to the duty desk, where Carrot was watching her with his mouth open. Well aware of the stir she was causing, she walked up to the desk past an audience of shocked faces and threw a muddy necklace down onto the open instant book. Four dwarfs murdered by other dwarfs down in the long dark, she said. I'll bet my nose on it. That belonged to one of them. He'd also written this. A muddy envelope was dropped by the necklace. It's pretty slimy, but you can read it. Mr. Vimes is going to go postal. She looked up into the blue eyes of Carrot. Where is he? Sleeping on a mattress in his office, said Carrot, and shrugged. Lady Sybil knew he wouldn't go home, so she got Willikins to make up a bed down here. Are you two all right? Fine, sir, said Sally. I was getting very worried, Carrot began. Four dead dwarfs, Captain, said Angua. City dwarfs. That's what you should be worrying about. Three half-buried, this one crawled away. Carrot picked up the necklace and read the runes. Lars Legstrong, he said. I think I know the family. Are you sure he was murdered? Throat cut. It'd be hard to call it suicide. But he took some time to die. He made it to one of their damned doors, which they'd locked shut, and scrawled one of their signs on it in his own blood. Then he sat down and waited to die in the dark. In the damn dark, Carrot. They were working dwarfs. They had shovels and wheelbarrows. They were down there doing a job, and when they weren't needed any more, they got the chop. Hacked down and left for the mud. He might even still have been alive down in the mud when Mr. Vimes and I went in. Behind their bloody thick door, dying by inches. And do you know what this means? She pulled a folded piece of card out of her bodice and passed it over. A drinks menu, said Carrot. Open it, snapped Angua. I'm sorry it's written in lipstick. It was all we could find. Carrot flipped it open. Another dark symbol, he said. I don't think I know this one. There were other dwarf officers in the office. Carrot held up the symbol. Does anyone here know what this means? A few helmeted heads shook, and a few dwarfs backed away. But a deep voice from the doorway said, Yeah, Captain Carrot, I suspect I do. Does it look like an eye with a tail? Yes, uh, sir, said Carrot, staring. A shadow moved. It was drawn in the dark, by a dying dwarf, in his own blood. It is the summoning dark, Captain, and it will be moving. Good morning to you. I am Mr. Shine. Carrot's jaw dropped as the watchman turned to look at the newcomer. He loomed in the doorway, almost as broad as he was tall, in a cloak and hood that hid any possible feature. Thee, Mr. Shine? he said. Regrettably so, Captain. And can I charge you to see that no one in this room leaves for a few minutes after I do? I like to keep my movements private. 
I didn't think you were real, sir. Believe me, young man, I wish it were possible to keep you in that happy state, said the hooded figure. However, my hand is forced. Mr. Shine stepped forward, pulling a rangy figure into the room. It was a troll, whose look of sullen defiance did not quite manage to conceal knee-knocking terror. This is Brick, Captain. I deliver him back into the personal custody of your Sergeant Detritus. He has information of use to you. I've heard his story. I believe him. You must move fast. The summoning dark may already have found a champion. What else? Oh, yeah. Be sure not to keep that symbol in a dark place. Keep light around it at all times. And now, if you will excuse the theatricals— The black robe twitched. Hard, white, blinding light filled the room for a second. When it had gone, so had Mr. Shine. All that was left was a large, round stone on the stained floor. Carrot blinked, and then pulled himself together. "'All right, you heard,' he said to the suddenly animated room at large. "'No one is to follow Mr. Shine, understood?' "'Follow him, Captain,' said a dwarf. "'We're not mad, you know.' "'That's right,' said a troll. "'They say he can reach inside of you and stop your heart.' "'Mr. Shine,' said Angua, "'is he what they've been writing about on the walls?' "'It looks like that,' said Carrot shortly. "'And he said we don't have much time. "'Mr. Brick, was it?' "'While Chrysophrase's trolls had contrived to swagger while standing still, "'Brick just managed to huddle all alone. "'You usually need two to huddle, "'but here was a troll trying to hide behind himself. "'No one could hide behind Brick. "'For a troll he was stick-thin to the point of nobliness. "'His lichen was cheap and matted, not the real thing at all.' probably the stuff they made up out of broccoli stalks on the back alleys of Quarry Lane. His belt of skulls was a disgrace. Some of them were clearly the papier-mâché kind that could be bought from any joke shop. One had a red nose. He looked around nervously, and there was the thud as his club dropped from his fingers. "'I'm in deep copra, right?' he said. "'Certainly we need to talk to you,' said Carrot. "'Do you want a lawyer?' "'No, I, I ate already.' "'You eat lawyers?' said Carrot. Brick gave him an empty stare until sufficient brain had been mustered. Uh, "'What do you call them things? They kind of crumble when you eat them,' he ventured. Carrot looked at Detritus and Angua to see if there was going to be any help there. "'Could be lawyers,' he conceded. "'They go soggy if you dips them in something,' said Brick, as if undertaking a forensic examination. "'More likely to be biscuits, then?' Carrot suggested. "'Could be. In a packet we all paper on. Yeah, biscuits.' "'What I meant,' said Carrot, "'was when we talk to you, do you want someone to be on your side?' "'Ah, uh, yeah, please, uh, everyone,' said Brick promptly. "'To be the centre of attention in a room full of watchmen was his worst nightmare. "'No, hold on. What about that time when he had that bad slab, "'what had been cut with ammonium nitrate? Woo! Goodbye, lobes, yep. "'Then this was his second worst night—' "'No, no, come to think of it. "'There was this time when he had that stuff what hardcore, "'jacked off a one-eyed goddamn. Whee, yeah!' Who knows where that has been? All them dancing teeth. So this was his, uh, hey, wait, remember that time you got lunched on scrape and your arms flew away? <laughs> OK, that was bad, so maybe this was his... Now, wait, wait, of course, can't be forgetting the day when you got baked on sliver and blew powdered zinc up your nose and thought you'd thrown up your feet. Uh, oh, and then it come that time again when you'd, ah, no, when you'd, ah, uh, 
Brick had got as far as his nineteenth worst nightmare before Carrot's voice cut through the snakes. Mr. Brick! Uh, is that still me? said Brick nervously. He could really, really do some slab right now. Generally, your advocate is one person, said Carrot. We're going to have to ask you some difficult questions. You're allowed to have someone to help you. Perhaps you have a friend we could fetch? Brick pondered this. The only people he could think of in this context were Totally Slag and Big Marble, although, more correctly, they fell into the category of people that don't throw things at me much and let me glom a bit of slab sometimes. Right now, these did not seem ideal qualifications. He pointed to Sergeant Detritus. Him, he said. He helped me find my teeth. I'm not sure a serving officer is, Carrot began. I'll volunteer for the role, Captain, said a little voice. Carrot peered over the edge of the desk. Mr. Pessimal, I don't think you should be out of bed. I am, in fact, acting Lance Constable, and Captain, said A. E. Pessimal, politely yet firmly. He was on crutches. Oh, uh, ah, right, said Carrot. Oh, well, I still think you shouldn't be out of bed. Nevertheless, uh, justice must be served, said A. E. Pessimal. Brick bent down and peered closely at the inspector. It's that gnome from last night, he said. Don't want him. You can't think of anyone, said Carrot. Brick thought again, and at last brightened up. Yeah, I can, he said. Easy. Someone to help me answer the questions, right? That's right. Well, easy peas. If you can fetch that dwarf, I saw down in that new dwarf mine last night, he'd help me. The room went deadly quiet. And why would he do that? said Carrot carefully. He could tell you why he was hitting that other dwarf on her head, said Brick. I mean, I don't know. But I expect he won't want to come on account of me being a troll, so I'll stick with the sergeant if it all the same to you. I think this is going too far, Captain, said A. E. Pessimal. In the silence that followed this, Carrot's voice sounded very loud. I think this, Mr. Pessimal, is the point where we wake up Commander Vimes. This audio